The government is under increasing pressure to take more decisive action over what many see as the biggest health problem the country faces. The rate of diabetes is rising rapidly, with 7% of New Zealanders estimated to have the disease, while 20%, one in five, also show early signs of the chronic condition. Doctors say there are signs of progress, but at a huge cost, which will overwhelm the health system unless more is done. Doctors don't mince words when discussing diabetes, a chronic disease that is rising and challenging already stretched health services. It's seen as a tsunami coming, but experts in the field like Paul Drury say it could be even worse. The wave just keeps getting bigger, and though I've said there are encouraging signs, eventually the size of the wave is going to overcome the improvement in performance. And uh, it's a question of whether that happens first or whether, quite simply, that the health system will be unable to cope. I'm Karen Brown, and in this insight, I look at what's being done about diabetes and what else is needed. The vast majority of people with type 2 diabetes are overweight, a fact of modern life that is fueling a global diabetes epidemic. New Zealand is far from immune, with a new study showing obesity is a major driver of diabetes, which is strongest in the Pacific community. It's early morning in Ōtara in South Auckland, a low socio-economic, mainly Pacific and Māori community where diabetes is common. That keeps one of the country's 27 designated nurse prescribers in diabetes, Kate Smallman, busy. So, how are you doing? In the moment, not, not too bad. Not too bad, mm. that's good. So, with the diabetes, you feel that it's going all right at the moment? Um, not really. No? Up and down. So, how high? What's the ups? Um, 15. And what's the lows? Lower is 10. So we're going to never go down. Kate Smallman's patient is a large Tongan woman in her early 50s whom we've agreed not to name, so we'll call her Mary. She has a score of 93 on a blood test known as HbA1c, showing average blood sugar levels over the past 12 weeks. A good score would be 50 to 60. Mary's own regular finger prick tests reveal blood glucose levels of 10 to 15 millimoles a litre, almost twice as high as they should be. Her levels have been lower in the past, and Kate Smallman is keen to find out what's gone wrong, focusing on diet. Why do you think it's gone up? Eat the wrong food. Which particular foods do you think are the ones that are the problems? Um, over Christmas, I can't stop eating ice cream. Oh, so I know it's bad, but do you buy it in big tubs and have it in the house? Um, I buy a bowl and eat a lot. Not much, but maybe once uh, second day. Yeah, but I eat a bowl. You eat a bowl, so it's just too much, isn't it? Too much. I know is I know my diabetes under control because I eat the wrong food. Yeah. Officially, there are 225,000 New Zealanders with diabetes and possibly a further 50 to 100,000 with unconfirmed diabetes. Mary, who lives in Ōtara, is among the up to 95% of those with diabetes who have type 2, mostly because they're overweight. They also have problems with insulin, a hormone produced by the pancreas and needed to move the sugar in food from the bloodstream into places like muscles where it can be turned into energy. 
Those with type 2 diabetes may produce insulin, but not enough, whereas those with the other main form of diabetes, type 1, reach the point of producing no insulin at all and are totally dependent on insulin injections. Their problem is not connected with weight. Check your blood pressure. It's important that we get the blood pressure um, right as well because this helps with the kidneys. Yeah. Having type 2 means Mary needs both tablets and two insulin injections a day, which she sometimes forgets in a busy life managing a large family and working overnight as a caregiver. Exercise would also help Mary, but Kate Smallman's sticking to the basics, knowing Mary's eyesight will continue to deteriorate and she will suffer other diabetes-related problems if she doesn't get the condition under better control soon. If the sugar is very high, it, it causes damage. So it causes damage to the small vessel organs and also to the large vessel organs. So we've got damage to the eyes, damage to the kidneys, um, damage to the circulation to the feet, can damage the, the nerves, so you've got damage in the feet because you can't feel them. You've also then got damage to the heart and you're going to have high cholesterol and then you're at risk from heart attack and stroke. So it's really a lot of damage to the body, so it's the complications of the diabetes which is the big serious um, issue we have here. Across the corridor in the same East Tamaki Healthcare Centre, Walter Muller, who's Tongan, says he has 400 patients and many can't or don't get it under control. I think diabetes is getting worse in our community. We're picking them up. We're trying to make uh, changes that uh, improve some changes, but most majority of people are poorly controlled. Dr Muller says patients with diabetes, like Mary, can be on several medications, which makes treatment complicated, and there can be a sense of fatalism. I'm seeing them in their 30s, in their 20s. So it's, I'm having teenagers in their 17, 18 with type 2 diabetes, so that's quite a terrible thing. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's a shock to, the, to their psyche. You know, they get depressed, they don't ring you, don't turn up. It's a big, huge thing to have diabetes. It's sometimes there's a stigma as well. Also, starting people on insulin is a big issue because a lot of them think that once you start on insulin, you're dead. That's it, because their relatives have started on insulin, then they die two or three months later. Dr Muller says he tries to tell patients that although they may not feel very unwell with the diabetes at this stage, perhaps feeling a little bit more tired or having to visit the toilet more often, they do need to take the diabetes seriously for their long-term health but it's not sinking in. I mean, I have families with mothers being diabetes, kids being diabetics, and the control is terrible because they don't really, they don't care. Or otherwise, a lot of them say they can't afford the right food. That becomes a barrier. They're eating a lot of fatty meat and fatty cuts. It's hard because I think unless you understand what they're going through, what their psyche is thinking, then it's pretty hard to change their attitudes. Dr Muller, Kate Smallman and others say it's not always easy in Ōtara for people to eat healthy food and a walk down the main street presses that point home. Somebody with their fizzy drink walking past and there's a definite smell of fast food and takeaways, Chinese foods and so on. It just smells like um, fish and chips everywhere. Tucked away at the back of the mall, there is a cafe with healthier options. The barista, Naroma Kay, tells me she too has type 2 diabetes, but is getting it under control for a very good reason. 
My doctor said to me that I, it's a bit dangerous for me to have a baby at the moment because it can cause a lot more problems for the baby while it's developing in me. So I'd rather have a healthy, safe baby than a, a sick baby. So we're in Green Lane Hospital on the first floor, I think, aren't we? This is our retinal screening service, and this works uh, seven or eight sessions of the week. And we've last year done around 7,000 uh, patient visits. Paul Drury is a medical specialist seeing seriously ill patients with type 2 diabetes at Green Lane Clinical Centre in Auckland. He has several roles, being the clinical director of the Auckland Diabetes Centre, the medical director of the Society for the Study of Diabetes and the chair of a Health Ministry National Diabetes Services Improvement Group. Speaking with his society hat on, he says being overweight drives type 2 diabetes with genetic factors involved. It's several things working together and uh, the effect is dwarfed by the effect of, of obesity. So if you take one of many studies, uh, take people of normal weight and take somebody uh, with a BMI of 40, which is really, really fat, then they may have 50 or 100 times the risk if they're obese as if they were normal weight. Uh, but again, within that, you're more likely to develop diabetes if one parent had diabetes type 2 diabetes, you're even more likely to develop if both parents had diabetes. He says losing weight can appear to end diabetes, but it is only in remission and never lost entirely, even with weight loss surgery. He also says diabetes has been rising between 5 and 10% a year for a decade and that the 225,000 total is an underestimate. I don't think the planners quite understand how quickly the numbers are going up. So they increase uh, retinal screening capacity by 2, 3, 5%, uh, but that doesn't do much when the number was inadequate in the first place and the population's going up that quickly. So it's patchy, but as of the middle of last year, the minister changed from the old Get Checked program to a diabetes care improvement package. And there are some encouraging signs that it's been taken more seriously at DHB level. Heart attacks and strokes are the major killer of those with diabetes, but Dr Drury says there are promising signs that the rate of both has dropped off slightly for diabetics in the past six or seven years. He says the number developing kidney failure because of diabetes is static. Diabetes carries a risk of amputation, and there were 228 lower limb amputations for people with diabetes last year. Paul Drury says the rate of amputations too is either static or actually falling when the growing number of people with diabetes is considered. I'd like to think that uh, we've got a big problem in terms of the number of people with diabetes and there are more developing diabetes, but for the individual patient with diabetes, the outlook is getting better. And I would hazard an estimate that life expectancy, or at least life, well, maybe better expressed as age of death, is probably getting later. This is the artificial kidney of the patient now, when, because their kidney is no longer working. So we need to clean their blood through the machine with their artificial kidney in it here. Going out is the dirty blood and going back with the clean blood. I'm in the acute renal ward at Middlemore Hospital in Counties Manukau with a senior dialysis nurse, Desalyn Bauka. 
Two and a half thousand New Zealanders are on dialysis, their only lifeline if they can't go onto the waiting list for a kidney transplant from a deceased donor. There are five or six hundred people on the waiting list for a transplant, with only about 110 being done a year. The Medical Director of Kidney Health New Zealand, Kelvin Lynn, says more than half of the people starting dialysis need it because of diabetes. He says it's costing hospitals $200 million a year. The number of people who are going on dialysis each year in New Zealand seems to be plateauing. It's around about 500 a year, and of those, half of them have diabetes. And if you look at the people who have diabetes, they're, they're predominantly Marian Pacific Islanders. They're the people in our community who already have more health problems than others. They have more challenges usually in terms of um, their family economies, their ability to cope, and that. they need a lot of support. It's not so much that we're stabilising, if you like, with the new numbers, but the people who are coming on have got lots and lots of problems. The pool of people, all of the people on dialysis, is going up about 4% a year, and that's partly because of our low transplantation rate. So the number of people on dialysis is well over 2,000, and that goes up about 4% a year. So that's, that's a ticking time bomb, if you like, in terms of our resources. Dr Lynn believes diabetes is the biggest health problem the country faces and says more should be done to screen high-risk groups. I'd like every New Zealander knowing what's their risk of diabetes and what could they do about it if they found out they had diabetes. I'd like that to be something that every family had a basic knowledge about that, just like they have basic knowledge about rugby. Health Ministry policy says screening for diabetes should occur for men from 45, women from 55 and younger if the person is non-European. That involves a blood pressure check and blood tests for cholesterol and blood glucose. The president of the consumer group Diabetes New Zealand, Chris Beatty, hopes the assessment includes the average glucose level or HbA1c test. I just hope that that test is always done as part of the entire assessment. I'm not certain it always is. But without a doubt, PHOs around the country are asked to report on the at-risk population having that test done. And it's supposed to be done every five years, which probably isn't often enough for diabetes. But if it's done properly, should at least go some way to identify those that may need HbA1c's done more frequently. One of the government's six health targets also requires district health boards to carry out a cardiovascular risk assessment on 75% of those eligible for the checks in their district. No DHB has yet reached the target, which is viewed as the most difficult health target. DHBs are also developing services tailored to meet the needs of their communities, plans known as individual care improvement packages. Chris Beatty says those services should provide flexibility to address the needs of different districts, notably high-needs areas. It's very easy to write in a plan that you're going to focus on those populations. What I'm looking for is how that's going to be done and how it will be measured. She says diabetes is driving many health pressures. Most of the people who turn blind, it is because of diabetes. Most of the people who have heart attacks or strokes, it's because of diabetes. Most of the people who have lower limb amputations, it's due to diabetes. These people aren't able to work. Certainly some work can be done when you're on dialysis, but it's very compromised. Your week is reduced if you have to either be on dialysis all night, every night at home, or three times a week for eight hours. It varies according to the patient. The ministry's clinical director for long-term conditions, including diabetes, is a Wellington family doctor, Helen Rodenberg. 
She says current screening is picking up early diabetes and most people with diabetes are well controlled. We're doing more blood tests so we're picking up people that are pre-diabetes and in primary care we've actually got the opportunity to say to them, look, you've got a bit of a risk here, you can do something about it now or it might turn into diabetes and that's quite a powerful message to give to people. Dr Rodenberg is the new so-called national champion for diabetes and says there's work to do but progress is being made. We're making progress. We haven't got escalating rates of amputation, for example. You know, we could have that. But we've had a lot of consistent health care provided over the years. There is an understanding and awareness of diabetes in the community. We can all do better, obviously, but we shouldn't beat ourselves up that we're doing badly at the moment. A nutrition professor, Jim Mann, of the Edgar National Centre for Diabetes and Obesity Research in Otago, is one of many watching developments closely. He co-authored a recent study showing 7% of New Zealanders over 15 have diabetes and a further 20% have early signs. If one's talking about 55 to 64-year-olds, we're talking about a prevalence of greater than 30% across the board. This is really very scary, made even worse by the fact that, of course, uh, there are certain high-risk groups in the population. And if we're talking about Māori and Pacific and Asian New Zealanders, the rates are even greater. Those rates would be scary for any medical condition, but when you think of the implications of diabetes, not only in terms of symptoms, which may not be that severe, but in terms of the complications of diabetes, the country cannot afford to have an epidemic which is continuing to escalate at these sort of rates. Professor Mann says prevention, especially among those with early diabetes, is key. Not only do we need to think about these people with prediabetes, but we need to think of the population as a whole that are literally getting fatter by the year and consequently putting themselves at risk even before they've got prediabetes. So we need to think of a national environment where healthy eating and healthy living is encouraged. He is urging the government to immediately reinstate controls on what foods can be sold at school tuck shops. The Labour Party's health spokesperson, Annette King, says if re-elected, the party would reinstate those policies as part of a strategy aimed at reducing obesity and its effects through more education with regulation as a last resort. It's not nanny state when in a few years' time the cost of health care uh, for all the taxpayers in New Zealand is going to rise hugely because of the rate of diabetes in New Zealand. You've got to nip it in the bud early, and that means you start with children. You start with what's in their school lunchbox, what's sold at school, knowledge for parents to know how to give children healthy lunches, etc. Diabetes is rising in Indo-Asian communities in New Zealand as fast as it is in the Pacific community. An Indian community leader, Prithi Pal Singh, says many in his community in Manukau are already making lifestyle changes. He favours education rather than controls. Diabetes people can live a long life uh, without too much problem provided they control their diabetes and they do start exercising and uh, all, all that and and I have seen and known people who have lived um, through diabetes, say, for the last 40 years, and they're still living a normal life. So, so diabetes in itself, when it comes on, it's, it's not a problem, but you must know how to manage it. 
But the clinical head of diabetes at County's Manukau DHB, Brandon Orr-Walker, says it's time for broader action over diabetes. We have no difficulty saying you have to wear your seatbelt. And we do not accept the argument, well, it's only me that will be hurt, and I'll only be hurt if I have a crash. We have no problem saying thou shalt not use your cell phone while you're driving your car. We understand for prevention of domestic violence that we have to have messages about into people's lives that are culturally appropriate, that are dealing with issues such as alcohol. We get in any state about all of those things. It is incomprehensible to me that we can deal with the problems of obesity and other not long-term conditions, really, without getting into people's lives. He says nutrition should be the focus and it should be a bipartisan issue. And I think that politicians will need to dig deep into their political capital. They are happy to do that for many other things, such as asset sales. They're happy to do it for other causes, such as smoking cessation. They dig into their political capital because it's important. Dr Orr Walker says if that doesn't happen, diabetes will one day swamp the health system. Yeah, I think it will. I mean, the growth rate for diagnosed diabetes in this country, let alone keeping people alive longer with diabetes, with more complications, the, the growth is about 7% compounding per annum. Population growth in New Zealand is in the order of 2% compounding per annum. That's a collision. It's a fiscal collision. Chris Beatty of Diabetes New Zealand agrees. People think it's a health issue. In my view, diabetes is an economic issue because it's affecting so many people at a younger and younger, younger age. It's debilitating them in a way they will no longer be able to be active members of the workforce. They will not be able to support their families. They will become beneficiaries through no choice of their own. Chris Beatty and others say diabetes has a low public profile and the association with obesity doesn't help. I do think there's a bit of a head-in-the-sand attitude about diabetes, particularly in government. I do detect changes, but they're not fast enough, I think, for the future wellbeing of the country. The Health Minister, Tony Ryle, says some DHBs have been slow to get started on new care improvement packages, but they have started, and he's confident the packages will improve care better than earlier approaches. He says diabetes is a worldwide problem, and New Zealand's approach incorporating prevention, identification, advice and support is right. But in the end, the most successful way for us to manage diabetes, pre-diabetes in New Zealand, is people managing it themselves with the support of clinicians. The level of diabetes in our community is serious. It is internationally. And clearly it cannot be a hospital-based response. It has to be out in the community, individuals playing their part in making this happen. Even so, Mr Ryle says there will be extra money in the budget next week to hasten progress. There are a number of things that we know are very successful. We know, for example, that the program established under the previous national government, Green Prescriptions, is very successful. This is where doctors and nurses can say to a patient, look, we'd like you to refer you to someone who can help you with your physical exercise and nutrition education and support. We know that that's been very successful. We know that the national health target emphasis on identifying people with diabetes and pre-diabetes is making a difference to the way that people manage their lifestyles so that they know how to, to better manage this. Uh, and these are the sorts of things that we know work and I think you can look forward to some sort of investment in those in the budget.
While the debate continues about obesity and whether more should be done, a group estimated to be between 12 and 15,000 people with type 1 diabetes wishes they had a disease with a different name, so people wouldn't assume they also are just overweight. An Auckland specialist in type 1 diabetes in children and young people, Craig Jeffries, says it's almost a different disease. The common feature is you have abnormal blood sugars, but you know most people in the type 1 field will wish the words type 2 refer to a different disease or call it the metabolic syndrome with diabetes attached. And I think that's when, if you talk to people with type 1, that to get thrown in with all the type 2s in clinic and how they've got their disease is, is quite distressing for them because it's an autoimmune disease. They couldn't prevent it if they tried. And in fact, I don't have any treatment that can delay it. Type 1 is often diagnosed in childhood, and it's a lifelong condition, incurable and rising at about 4% a year. Dr Jeffries says every year up to 250 children under 16 are diagnosed with type 1 nationally, 60 to 70 of them in Auckland alone. And they are presenting unwell. They're not like slow, indolent type 2s. They're presenting, some of them life-threatening, other ones very unwell, other ones mildly hyperglycemic, depending on how early they present. Chris Beatty of Diabetes New Zealand was diagnosed with type 1 at age 10, 47 years ago, and knows all about what it means. There's never any holiday from it, not ever. There's never a break. You've constantly got to be aware of what your blood sugar is running at. I'm in Milford on the North Shore, and I'm right on the edge, actually, of Lake Pupuki. It's the home of the Timmings family of six, Ed and Karen and their four children. Two of the children, 17-year-old Jack and 15-year-old Charlie, have type 1. Ed Timmings says there is nothing those with type 1 can do to prevent or stop their diabetes, and the link with type 2 and weight rankles. I think type 2 diabetes needs real education to the people providing advice, and that's the doctors who say it's okay because you're taking this pill and you're doing okay. Well, it's not because you've got a 50-inch waist. Jack and Charlie Timmings are doing extremely well, with strong support from their family. It hasn't held them back one iota. Jack's the head prefect at his school and Charlie's a top sportsman. But Ed Timmings says type 1 can wreck families. We know a tonne of families who don't manage well. There's also a lot of families who split up when a kid gets to be diabetic. You know, it's a, it's a lot of stress and relationships don't last. And then you have two parents with a different opinion of how to deal with diabetes and the kids are in the middle. It's a tough old grind for some families. The specialist, Craig Jeffries, says type 1 is actually harder on families than having a child with acute leukaemia, which can be cured. Those with the leukaemia diagnosis are terribly affected. The families are a mess. Diabetes isn't too bad. But at two years of time, the families with diabetes are more chronically affected, have more rates of distress and low mood and chronic illness than the people with leukaemia. And the reason being is that with a severe illness like leukaemia, you're, you're cured or not, or you've got some damage. But you don't constantly wake up every day or for every four hours and give yourself a blood sugar, have some food or give insulin. You know, you can just wait for your clinic visit in three months. And if you talk to the families of diabetes, there's just a lot of burnout. There's a lot of psychological burnout because they never get a break from diabetes. His message for any young person with type 1 is to make sure they control their blood sugar levels. If you live in a lifestyle where you want just to do anything and pretend you don't have it, well, you'll be in big trouble. And I think they're the ones who ignore their diabetes for several years and come back with major vision or neuropathy or kidney complications. That message is the same for all those with diabetes. It has to be managed. 
How well New Zealand and its health system manage the rising tide of diabetes will be critical in the coming years. I'm Karen Brown, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by Steve Burridge.